you may as well fail at what you're passionate about because his father actually failed at something he didn't even like. So, you know, he made the safe choice to do whatever it was that he didn't like and he actually failed at that. So it's like that's what told Jim Carrey that you may as well go for your dreams. Welcome to the Passion Behind the Art Show. It's all about diving in with individuals to learn the story behind their passion. It's your host, Daryl Pinna. Well, I'm excited to have Dominique Fella on the Passion Behind the Art Show, coordinator of Typism. I'm so excited to have her. Dominique, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Well, um, let's jump right into it. How did... Dominique's journey start in design? Um, probably with illustration. So I remember drawing as a child a lot. And I'm an only child, so I have no brothers or sisters. And I think that having to entertain myself um, really helped with me to, you know, kick off the creative pursuits. And also, I really used to like craft. So people would buy me, you know, how to make something books and I used to really enjoy those the sort of craft compendiums and easy how to do it kind of books and my mother said that I used to really like um, I don't know if you have it in the states but in the UK and in Australia we have a show called play school and there was always a section on there where you would have to do some sort of craft activity and my mother would say that when, you know, play school craft time would come on, I would start barking instructions about all of the craft materials <laughs> I needed. I need toilet rolls and I need them now, mother. And so she would run around the house getting me these things. And she said I would always make the project way better than they did on the television. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it all came from there. Oh, uh, that's funny. That's actually... Um... After watching your work, that's starting to make a lot of sense. The whole (laughs) crafty experience. So, okay. So you're, you find this love for craft. You love, you find this love for creativity. When you started to get older and you're saying, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, when did that happen? And what was the next thing that you did to start work towards that? Mm -hmm. In... Year 10, which in Australia is probably aged 15, um, I just happened to be in a second-hand bookshop in my town and I found this little book which was like the graduate catalogue of all the graphic design students from a university that was located, you know, in my state. Um, And it was $4 and I bought it and it was like being struck by a bolt of lightning. I just saw this stuff and I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And it was a graduate catalogue for a university called Swinburne, which was at the time very, very difficult to get into. You had to have a really super professional folio and a very high um, GPA. And the GPA was no problem for me, but I didn't have a folio. So the (laughs) next two years of my life was spent doing everything I needed to get accepted to this place. Oh, that's cool. What what, what school was this? Swinburne University. And it was... It was back in the time when um, it's very different now because the government has changed the funding model. You know, at universities now in Australia, everybody gets to go because it's going to cost you loads of money. But when I went there, it was free. It was subsidized Mm. by the government, which meant that, you know, they only accepted a certain number of people. And the thing that freaks everybody out is they would accept 120 people into first year, but that wouldn't 
guarantee that you graduated, they would kick out half of the numbers every year. So just because you got into Swinburne doesn't mean you got to graduate from Swinburne. Oh. Sometimes, you know, you'd fail first year, goodbye, see you later, thanks for trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Uh, Oh yeah, it. We were. We had PTSD by the end of it. Like we were <laughs> snarling dogs. We were just like, get away. You know, so competitive. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time getting over that kind of horrible, <laughs> um, kill or be killed <laughs> environment. It was pretty stressful. So, what were some of like the main skill sets that was taught there? Well, this was pre-computer, which is me showing my age. <laughs> Um, so hand skills, really, we, all the typography that we set, we didn't actually typeset ourselves. We would mark up, um, you know, typewritten proofs or something, and we would send them out to a typography service and they would set the type how we had specified. And then it would come back as a bromide and then we would paste that up in the artwork. Mm. Uh, so everybody had really good hand lettering skills just because there was no other way to do lettering. So I think from you know being able to draw and illustrate, having that experience at university pre-computer, um, all really made me have a healthy respect for you know a pencil and a pen and a T-square and a drafting board. Um, so all of those things I think are skills that a lot of computer natives really miss out on. So I was really grateful for that experience, but I was also super grateful that the computer, you know, <laughs> the Mac arrived really soon. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually marked up type or specified it commercially because mm -hmm. we'd learned to how to do it at university, but then, you know, the computer arrived and we were like, yay, page maker, let's right, go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even just some of the materials you started talking about, it's bringing me back to my days when I was studying architecture. Like yes. A T-square yeah. a, a and yep. having to set every last letter on the yep. drawing by hand and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's tedious, but it's so kind of meditative as well. I love I love making craft pieces for that reason. It's just, you know, you're trapped there for the next 12 hours, so you may as well enjoy it. Right. So was it in school you fell in love with type? What, what when did this happen? No, I hated type when I was at school. So all of this drawing it up, I just kind of didn't, I didn't really understand it. I, it just was a chore because they kind of made it like a chore. <laughs> so it was really only because I, I then left when I graduated university, I actually went off and became an illustrator for 13 years. So I never, you know, touched a typeface or a piece of lettering for 13 years after university. It was only really when I went back to study and also back to teaching that I really started mm -hmm. to develop my appreciation for typography and lettering. And when you're a teacher, you always kind of, when you're trying to explain it to the students and get them to do something, there's always that moment where you're like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> now I get what my teacher was trying to tell me. So it was only that coming full circle and becoming a teacher that I really got to appreciate typography. And also it, it um, I kind of got sick of illustration, so it was the other side of the coin mm. as far as a graphic designer is concerned. You've got words and you've got images, and so I'd kind of done with the images, so it was time for the, the typography and the lettering. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could answer this. It, I'm wondering if it's so many people I know that they transition from illustration 
to type. You really hear people transitioning from type to illustration. Have you noticed that? Yeah, but, well, I mean, people who do illustrative lettering, I see them transition to illustration. Okay. And sometimes I do know there are people that I love their, their illustrative lettering. And then when I see them just do an illustration, I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> why isn't there a letter in there? <laughs> it's just a picture. That's really boring. Um, you know, whereas for them, they're excited because they're like, oh, I'm free from the lettering. I can just draw pictures. So it's, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's a perspective thing. But I think, um, you know, I mean, someone like Gemma O'Brien or somebody like Evelyn Kazakoff could easily become just a commercial illustrator. There's right. no, you know, the lettering part is not sort of essential to what they're doing. Um, Yulia Brodskaya was the same. She did all that quilling, you know, the paper lettering that everybody now copies. And so she was like, well, you know, goodbye lettering then if everyone's going to copy it. She now does portraits of people's faces using the same technique, which is just way too difficult for anyone else to copy. So she's transitioned away from lettering because it's sort of too reproducible, mm. and she's now gone to a pure art form. So I've, I've seen it happen. But, yeah, you're right. People who can hold a pen and pencil tend to start with illustration, and then they transition to lettering. Mm. It's just, I was just wondering. So, so now you are on this journey. Like, Are you still teaching now? Um, less and less. I've actually, I get promoted <laughs> up through the ranks. You know how they, they, they always say that, that they take the people that are good at something and then promote them so that they end up not doing the thing <laughs> like that. That's totally happening to me right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been in a classroom for, for, I don't know, probably 20 years now. So, you know, whilst I love going into the classroom, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. So it is, it is good to be moved out of the classroom. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in much more higher level administrative roles in the university, which is hilarious because I'm terrible at administration. So, <laughs> well, yeah. not really. You are, we're going to get into it, but you actually do run a conference. So, Well, yeah, I guess I must have some. <laughs> You're not so bad. I just, yeah, I just, it feels like chaos when it's happening. So I'm like, why am I the one doing this? I shouldn't be. But then I try and get someone else to do it and they just freak out. So... <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's my high levels of stress management that keep me in the game. <laughs> so how, all right, so I know that one thing teaching has helped you to do is um, kind of notice certain details in creating letters and just and just learning in general. It helped you enhance that. What are some of the benefits of other from teaching? Well, I guess the main benefit is just the energy and enthusiasm because you know, as a lot of creative practitioners get into their groove, they tend to become more isolated if they're working at home or they tend to become very, you know, known for one thing and so they really focus on that one thing. And I found that as an illustrator, you just kind of burn out because you're doing the same stuff over and over again. And it's like having your foot on the gas pedal without putting any more fuel or energy in there. Whereas I find that being in the classroom around 20 or 30 excited young people all bringing new sort of ideas and new enthusiasms and new goals that really helps you know fill up the the tank in a way for me because it it just brings fresh energy and enthusiasm to my daily work Mm. so i know uh, what made you use a string for (laughs) your is that part of the reason because it was so difficult and um, too much people were doing it 
Like, what made you... Yeah, it's the the whole sort of practice of the tactile topography that I started was actually part of a PhD. So I did my master's first, and that was in production design for film. So that was all purely illustration. And then when it came time to do my doctoral research, um, again, I was kind of done with drawing pictures. And so it became about looking at lettering. And it actually came about because I was part of an exhibition and I had hoped to, um, what was I going to do? Get a large digital print. I'd just done a piece of typography but with vector shapes and I wanted to get it printed. But the technician had actually gone home by the time I had finished the file. And so the only machine I had access to to sort of get this giant thing out of my computer was the vinyl cutter. And I actually used to work at a sign writing shop for quite a while. So I was, I was pretty experienced in vinyl cutting and application. So I literally got my vector file and I cut it out in vinyl and then I applied it to a board and then I took it to the exhibition and put it up on the wall. And it got such a huge response. Everybody just wanted to touch it because it was this low relief, shiny on matte kind of design on the wall. And I was just standing there going, there's like 15 sculptures in this room, you know, physical 3D objects standing on plinths. Nobody wants to touch them. There's all this other flat artwork on the wall. Nobody wants to touch them. But everyone comes up to my artwork <laughs> and they want to have a feel. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening here? So from that day, I don't know, I just said, right, I'm going to, I'm onto something here. So I'm just going to experiment with a bunch of different techniques. So the first one was, you know, vinyl cut applied to a board. And then I just started playing with different techniques that I could find. I would go to craft stores and I would just buy a bunch of stuff and start playing with it. So the string thing didn't really happen until I'd actually probably experimented with about 30 other techniques. And then, I don't know, I just gradually moved my way through the craft store (laughs) until I got to the wool and string section. And I'm like, what can I do with this? And then it was, you know, the, the memory of the, the sort of cheesy pin and silver on black velvet stuff that everybody's auntie has done. <laughs> um, and I just thought, oh, I can't do that. I can't do a portrait of Elvis or like a Eiffel Tower or something. I have to do typography and I really like colours. So I just, I don't know, I just played. But I really noticed a difference when I posted that one to Facebook and then I posted it to my blog, everybody lost their minds. And so I was like, oh, I'm onto something here. So it was really just one of 30 other techniques I tried, but it was the audience that really Mm. let me know that this was a thing that they really liked. And then from then on, it kind of went a bit viral on the internet. And then I just started getting commissions to do these things commercially. So yeah, that that was it. It wasn't me going, oh, I really love string. It was just, (laughs) (laughs) let's, let's try this. And apparently everybody liked it. So was it was it hard to learn um at first i got repetitive strain injury because i used like a normal man hammer (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know like man up ladder big nail big hammer no we can't do it that way so i got the tiniest little tippy tippy tip tip hammer and i got the tiniest little nails and i got the tiniest little pliers and then i managed to make it so that i could do it you know for 10 hours at a time because it's very time consuming. Yes. So yeah, I had to evolve the style a little bit because it just, yeah, it's physically very damaging to body parts. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my goodness. It's like the, the little craft girl is just coming out. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's right. All my skills. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of my students, they'll look at me doing something and they're like, "How do you know how to do this?" Like, for them, a paintbrush is like a thing of mystery. It's like a magic wand, you know. So they see me in my craft studio with all my materials and things, and they just they think it's amazing. They love it. All right, so let's jump into typeism. Like, mm-hmm. starting out, did you know that this would become this massive thing? No, absolutely not. <laughs> it's completely and utterly evolved of its own accord, and I now just feel like I'm a sort of a guardian of it. It's not actually my thing anymore. It's everybody's thing, and mm-hmm. I just push the buttons. <laughs> so how did typism start? The the idea for typism came about because of a lettering artist called Seb Lester, and you've probably seen his viral videos where he draws, you know, logos using a ruling pen. Um, but he's he's a very good calligrapher and also a typeface designer and also a graphic designer. And he was invited to come and speak at a one day conference in Brisbane, which is near where I live, and. So I went along specifically to see Seb Lester. And so it was a normal design conference where you would have, you know, a design lawyer and a corporate logo guy and someone from Wired magazine. And, you know, it's like just a variety of people. Um, But when I sat there in the audience, I looked around at the audience and I knew quite a few of the people who were there. And I knew that they were all just here for Seb Lester. You know, they just really wanted to come see this amazing lettering practitioner. And then we actually went for lunch, everybody, and we completely forgot about the rest of the conference. <laughs> and, so, and so I was like, wow, everybody here paid $120 to just see one guy talk about lettering. Imagine if there were seven or eight guys that were talking about mm-hmm. lettering. Um, and so that's where the idea came about. And I just was going to have it at my university, and I was just going to hire out a lecture theater, and I was just going to um, you know, get a bunch of my friends to come and speak to my students. But it just sort of, I don't know, it escalated out of that scope. And so eventually we had to hire a venue and and then we made a book and then a bunch of famous people sent me work for the book. And so I'm just like, oh, my goodness, this is bigger than Ben-Hur. This is taken on a life of its own. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's that's never really stopped. Every time I think about winding it down or changing it or doing something else, people are just like, uh-uh-uh. Right. <laughs> you started this. you got to keep this thing moving. So... Yeah, and so it was actually Creative South, was it last year? No, it must have been the year before year where before. I spoke there. Yep. And I I just, I saw the benefit of having something every year because it meant that people could just, you know, commit to that in their diary every year. Mm-hmm. I saw the benefit of the community, like trapping them in a place because as you would know that Columbus, Georgia is a fairly <laughs> isolated town. So kind of once you're there, you're not going anywhere else. <laughs> So, you know, I really loved that, that everybody was kind of had come here for this specific purpose, but they were all kind of trapped in the town. And that meant everybody really got on great and had social events and networking and parties outside of just the day of the conference. And so and also the vendor hall, I found really exciting because it's an opportunity for people to, you know, again, get together and network and sell things, even if they're not particularly um, talking on the stage, they can still be part of the whole experience. So from there, I really saw how a creative conference could build community. And so I really wanted to, um, you know, try and inject a bit of that into the typism experience in Australia. That's awesome. So initially, you wanted it to be an event. 
it was just a one-day event. I was just going to get seven of my friends to talk. But, yeah, the book the book was an idea from one of my students that, who said basically, you know, there should be a book that accompanies the conference. And so I sent out a list of, you know, a wish list email um, to a bunch of people that I really liked their work just saying, do you want to submit something for this book? And they did. So that the book kind of took on a life of its own as well. And then, you know, the Instagram community, everybody started sharing just the hashtag typism. So, you know, like feminism or it's it's kind of a word that people adopt to sort of it, it represents what they do. So I think right. there's, I mean, there's probably a quarter of a million people out there in the world who don't even know who I am, what the conference is, Maybe they know what the book is, but they're they're starting to use the hashtag typism to just describe the thing that they're doing. It's this right. lifestyle where they're you know experimenting with letter mm-hmm. forms. It doesn't matter whether they're from you know a Spanish speaking country or you know what language they speak. Everybody just loves the letter form and they love to create work and get feedback and and be part of this online community. And so for me, that's what typism has become. But there's no way I could have, you know, ever foreshadowed that this would be the case. And for me, the conference is very much, you know, it's a local thing, southeast Queensland. All my friends come, all my students come, a bunch of people I've met online come, and then it's a local thing. But then the book has, you know, it has a bunch of Australians in it, but it also has a, there's probably 10 people from the Ukraine and 15 people from Mexico, and there's a lot of South Americans now. and. You know, so everybody has a different version of what typism means to them, just depending on where they're located and and what contact they've had with the brand. But for me, that's that's really exciting. So there are plans to sort of build an online membership in the future and have some sort of, I think, try and leverage the fact that I know all these people now and I have a really good relationship with, you know, two, three hundred of the best lettering artists in the world and really kind of give them a platform and a vehicle to just communicate with each other and share their knowledge. And then people who are coming up through the ranks can learn from those guys as well. That's awesome. It's like typism is kind of like, a, like it has the aspect of good type where everyone is like sharing, using the hashtag. Yeah. Um, to That represents their work. And then the aspect of the conference, like creative self, it's like, and then on top of it, you have the book. So it's like this trifecta yeah, that you have going right. on, which is awesome. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. It's cool. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, if if I'd have told, if I'd have sat someone down five years ago and said, oh, "I'm going to do this and this and this and this," they'd be like, "You're out of your mind." <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, looking back, that's what's happened. So it's really cool. And who knows where it's going to go in the future. That's also exciting because I get bored really easily. So, you know, this is why I like playing with 30 different techniques, not just one. This is why I like to see where the conference can go, where the book can go, um, what other things can happen. We went around Australia and filmed a bunch of my friends showing how they do techniques. And so the Typism Summit was born. And so, you know, these are just as ideas occur to me or as people ask me for stuff, we just kind of take it in that direction. Which is which is kind of cool. But one thing I like about you is that you kind of see where most of the noise and most of the traction is kind of going and you kind of go down that rabbit hole and see where it's going. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basic basic kind of communication design foundations you know as a graphic designer originally that's what I was trained to do I mean you've got to you've got to know your client and you've got to know 
the client's audience. And so your job as a graphic designer is to communicate between those two you know, groups of people. And so understanding what the audience wants and understanding what is possible, you have to, you know, it's very sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say self-centered, but, you know, if you just sit in a room and make a bunch of stuff and don't actually ask anybody if they need it, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of just luck that you might actually end up selling it. And I see a lot of graphic designers, they miss that point mm. when they, when they're working for their client, they understand they have to understand the client's clients. But when they're working on their own stuff, they just make stuff that they like. And so it really is about, no, you've actually got to take it to the audience and say, mm. well, what do you guys and then I can make it or then I can kind of switch it in a way that you're going to want to have it happen. So, you know, I mean, for me, it was the frequency. So I was happy to do the conference and the book every couple of years, you know, every two or three years, just because it took a lot of energy. And then the audience was like, no, we want another book. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> you want another book? I got to give you another book. You know, it's really about what they want, not what I want. All right. So what is like the whole process of the building this book like and getting well, the, all these submissions <laughs> the first book was very very different to the fourth book i have to tell you um so i'm i'm a really interesting like when you do a personality test or whatever <laughs> i'm a really interesting combination of somebody who's like a big picture visionary lots of big ideas but then i also have that combination of people i just love systems if i can systemize something I will spend more time systemizing the thing than doing the thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's if I'm going to repeat an activity and it's going to be a, a tedious chore, you bet I'm going to systemize it. So I've got a pretty, yeah, I mean, even the conference now, I mean, there's a lot of unexpected stuff that happens along the road, but I try and make it as predictable as possible so that I'm removing the need for decision making and so that I'm removing the need for um, you know problems to arise that I have no solution for I like to systemize the process but yeah the first couple you're just bashing into the guardrail <laughs> and correcting force and then you bash into that side and back on the I mean it was just painful really painful whereas now yeah book four was smooth <laughs> so yeah systems and processes that's that's the answer that's the only way I can get this stuff done so is this all um, self-published um, the book, yes, is all it's all funded by um, pre-orders and then, I don't know, sometimes the conference funds the book and sometimes the book funds the conference. It's like this rolling cycle of, okay. um, you know, the money just comes back around to pay for the next thing. So, but yeah, pre-orders for the book and then um, and then we sell it. So, I mean, it's, you know, we, and we print a limited run because, I mean, they literally are sitting in my house. <laughs> so... You know, people get upset. They're like, oh, book one and two are sold out. I'm like, I don't have any room. I have to sell these things out. Otherwise, my husband will divorce me. He's like, I can't get in the spare room anymore. Get rid of these books. So, I mean, we literally went to, <laughs> we, we went to a conference in Newcastle, um, which is like, I don't know, six hours from my house on the weekend called Make It Made It. And, you know, they thought we were great because we brought a bunch of typism books. But I'm just like... It's time for these to leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody gets a book. So, yeah, we, we sponsored the conference down there and, and gave everybody typers and book three. So that was really fun just seeing everybody walk around with it because that was a whole new audience that had no idea about typism, you know. So it was a really, it's a really great tool to be able to just hand it over and they go, this is incredible. Look at all this work and look at all these amazing artists from around the world. And, you know, it's, 
I mean, it's actually starting to occur to me that I should probably put a map or something in the book because when I get all the submissions and then I look them up on the websites and things because we put their contact details, every artist gets their contact details in there, you know, it just blows my mind where they're right. from. Wow. So I should just start to kind of – and I love posting the books out because, you know, we send them to Nepal and Kazakhstan and, I don't know, like just – weird and wacky places it's like i get so excited when people from really strange countries and cities and and places buy them or have their work in there so for me that's like a private thing that only i get to experience so i should probably like put a map in the book as to where all the artists are from that's amazing i just can try to picture it right now just being able to send these books out to all these different places after seeing from where it's coming from yeah absolutely and you can't judge somebody by their name you know you hear a name you think oh well they're spanish and no they live in brooklyn and then you know john smith and you're like oh well he's from england and no he's from like greenland or somewhere so you know you just can't you can't look at somebody's name and just assume you know where they're from and i love that too well since this has um been all smooth sailing for you just in case what would you say was the hardest struggle you had to to overcome in just in your journey um i guess i guess the low moments where you have a vision for something and i mean i get tricked a lot by how well things are going and then i think Oh, great. If this if this went this well, then if I do it again next year, it'll go this well. It'll go even better. And so you overreach and overextend yourself, and then it doesn't because you've made an assumption. You And it always reminds me to just say, no, go with what is happening, not with what you want to happen. And so you've really got to look, you know, at the actual as opposed to the the, the vision for it because, yeah, I've, I've overstretched quite a few times and then miss the mark and so whilst I don't necessarily share that stuff it just that can be very yeah it's a bit of a smack in the face for me because I'm like nobody else knows I failed but in my own personal you know goal setting I failed to achieve the thing that I thought I would be able to achieve but you know as far as anyone else can can tell from the outside it looks great still (laughs) so you know it's just keeping that to yourself because you don't want to go whinging that oh I didn't do this and you know i didn't do that and they're like oh poor you wow it must be so tough to have this amazing thing that's so successful and you're just upset because it's not as successful so you know just just yeah checking myself all the time and not whining about it (laughs) um that's that's can be difficult sometimes and i mean just you know like a couple of every conference organizer i've ever spoken to you know we all have the nightmares and the anxiety dreams like a month out from the conference is a really terrifying time (laughs) when you know you've got a whole lot of expenses and nobody's buying tickets and then every year everybody buys tickets in the week before and you go that's right I remember it's all fine (laughs) jump and the net will appear but then you know I ring up my friends who organize um, the make it made it conference or the design conference in Brisbane and we just we have a laugh because we go there should be like a a conference organizer support group right where, you know where, where we we know our problems and nobody else does it's a, a very strange anxiety that you go through and then the day happens and it's incredible and there's adrenaline and everybody loves it and there's such a buzz and it's the best day of the year and then you get reminded again why you have the anxiety and sleepless nights a month ago mm. so who would you say are some of the people that kind of help you 
you know keep you grounded your support system especially through these struggling times yeah i mean it's it's good to have those guys so brett and matt are both local conference organizers who yeah we can share war stories and we help each other and promote each other's um, (laughs) conferences and things locally certainly the typism conference um wouldn't happen if there wasn't a group of people that i'm surrounded by at work so natasha kershaw is our admin you know so she's the university admin so i work with her every day and it's her day job to be the administrator for the university but um, you know, she loves the conference and she just loves, she's super organized. And so she just takes over a lot of the kind of, you know, parcel receiving because we get a lot of mail, you know, for the goodie bags and things, giant boxes will appear and she'll just take care of all that stuff. Um, and then also Libby Reed is, she was a speaker last year and she's also one of my PhD students. So I'm supervising her PhD in typography, but she just, she's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And so last year she came up with this idea that she wanted to hand letter everybody's lanyards. So, you know, the cards that hang around your neck right? when you're at a conference. So instead of getting them printed somewhere and sticking them in a plastic pouch, oh, no, 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 she was going to hand letter everybody's. So she did this thing where, you know, she wrote out 250 names in calligraphy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and so everybody got this sort of custom piece of art hanging around their neck which was crazy and of course that now has set an expectation for there to be <laughs> a hand lettered every year so this year she's she's gonna do the same again um but this time we've laser etched them in timber so i'm like what do we do next year gold plated <laughs> gold. <laughs> you know i mean like how it's just oh i i love it but then i just i shake my head going libby what are you doing to me <laughs> Just oh, that's make crazy. it harder every year to set the bar. Um, yeah, so she's she's doing all those um, lanyards. So they'll be on the social media, no doubt, in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, without Libby, you know, doing that sort of stuff, she's also hand lettering the um, speaker titles this year. And last year, I had Jens, who was one of my um, students. He did sort of this motion graphics opening title for everybody. So just all the creative stuff around that I just would love to do, but I just can't possibly have the time or bandwidth. You know, there's just a group of people that I can call on to do that stuff. Um, Austin Saylor animated the logo this year. Matt Vagotis actually designed the logo this year. You know, again, another stupid thing I do is to have a new logo every year, (laughs) which, you know, sounds like a great idea, but it isn't because it means you have to print new T-shirts. It means everything has to change. Everything gets printed again. You know, luckily we're at the stage now where we've got sponsors for all that stuff. So the print bar in Brisbane are great because they print all our shirts every year. So it doesn't matter that we have a new logo. You know, so all this stuff, I'm just like, it's this house of cards that I need a whole bunch of people to help me with because I just, it gets bigger and bigger every year, but it's crazy. And um, Alejandra is also, she's nuts as well. So Libby and Ali are both crazy. And so they, they just go, <laughs> we're going to do this and we're going to do that. I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. It's going to be fireworks and you know, so I go, okay, do go crazy. And they do. And they always make amazing stuff. So yeah, those, that sort of crew of people. And then I also have the student helpers. So every year, um, I get a bunch of students to just help out and they work on the day and get, you know, free ticket and free t-shirt and they get to be part of something great and they love it. And often they come back. So we have many graduates who, who come back and volunteer every year. So there's a, there's a really good crew of people that help me out. And my husband's also getting involved, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so he loves being um, the tour guide. So last year he kind of 
he took Nick Masani um, and his partner Ted out, you know, to this beautiful waterfall. So he's kind of entertaining these Americans who are in town whilst I'm just like screaming and running around. And so he's like the ambassador for Australia <laughs> and welcomes all the speakers and takes them, picks them up from the airport and takes them places. And he also loves taking photographs and stuff. So he does all the photography and video stuff at the nice. conference, which is also really useful. So yeah, I've got an amazing crew of people who just make it all happen. And I just kind of stare at spreadsheets. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, freak no. out about the numbers. I go, the money out is more than the money in. <laughs> that's, that's basically all I do. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I definitely have to make the trip. It's next week. Next week. What's the date? Next week, August 4th, August Saturday. 4th, next week. So we've got two days of workshops at the university, and then we have the actual day of the conference is at the Gold Coast Art Center. So, you know, it's in downtown Surfers Paradise. So all these visitors come here and it's it's actually the middle of winter but it's just so beautiful it's like it's 21 degrees i don't know what that is in american temperature um i don't know really nice <laughs> yeah it's not the same because i think what are you guys celsius yeah, yeah so, it's not the same i don't know 60 something 60 f yeah um no really nice you know you can wear like jeans and a t-shirt and you can go for a walk and not sweat but you can also lie on the beach if you're out of the wind. Like it's even everyone else in Australia is freezing because they're all from Melbourne and they come up just for a summer holiday <laughs> in winter. Because, <laughs> yeah, Queensland is really nice weather most of the year round. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place to come and have a weekend. So we have a few international visitors and people come from New Zealand. Um, we had a bunch from California and some from Portugal last year. So we'll have to find out where they're from this year. But yeah, it's really it's a really fun day, and everybody just is starting to get in the groove now that it happens every year, and they catch up with the friends. And we also do a really unique thing around the table. We actually have a um, we don't sit you in a row. It's not like in a theatre seating. It's actually round tables, mm. so it's almost like you're at some wedding. <laughs> yeah, like a banquet or a wedding or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we know that lettering artists just love to draw all day. So oh, we give them, okay. You know, we give them pens. We give them notebooks. They sit around these tables and they just draw all day and it's so awesome. I love seeing all the things that come out of it. And so, of course, we have competitions throughout the day of people, you know, Instagramming what they've been lettering and things. So, yeah, that's really fun because, you know, 80% of the audience are also some of the world's or the country's best lettering artists as well. So, you know, it's a fun day with everybody being really creative and talented. That's amazing. Yeah, I definitely got to make the trip between seeing um... – Roxy and Phoebe. Yes, they there. had a ball. Yeah. They loved it. And then Nick was there. Actually, was we were actually talking to get him on my show when he was in Australia. Yeah, and right. Like, to speak yeah. at your conference. Yeah, he yeah. he's so he's so good. He's he's such a such a composed human being, and his work is just so meticulous. It's really it's that really is. lovely to see him <laughs> from strength to strength. Yeah. And then of course Matt. Matt has become a very good friend of mine, so I definitely got to come up there. Yeah, no, he's he's coming. He's he, he comes to the VIP party, whether he can come to the conference or not. <laughs> <laughs> he makes sure he's he's um, having a good time with everyone. No, he's he's coming to the conference this year. 
um, which is good because normally he's last year he had a wedding or something he had to go to. So it'll be great for him to see how it's evolved because he spoke at the first one, which was in a different venue. So mm. it'll be fun for him to see that. Um, but yeah, a lot of those past speakers, they all come back because um, they just really love the whole vibe and the whole community. And, you know, it's a chance for them to see their friends and things. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And the venue is just so beautiful and we give everybody food and drink. And, you know, so it's a, it's a really fun day for everybody. I really look forward to it. Awesome. So what is Dominique most excited about right now? Right. Well, in the future, um, very near future, I'm actually got a book coming out. So mm. I I got struck by lightning again. This happens to me every now and then. Um, I got struck by lightning during the Easter break this year. Um, and I actually did a survey with some people about um, creativity and what they were struggling with. And I really... I kind of had this idea for a long time and I just started again talking to the audience rather than just coming up with something and hoping they like it. I figured I'd ask people what they want first. And so I put out on Instagram a sort of survey and a bunch of people filled it out. And this one survey from a person I don't know, but she actually wrote that, you know, she feels like she's lost her mojo Mm. and she really wanted to know what her creative superpower was. Mm. And that sentence just hit me like a bolt of lightning. I was just like, well, I can help you work out what your creative superpower right. is. That's, that's what I want to do. So I actually, I wrote a book called Your Creative Superpower. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's finished. So the book's actually being edited at the moment. And I'm now working on a series of worksheets. And all of those, the ladies that helped me out with typism, were actually going on a sort of a, uh, a retreat, wind down trip after the week after typism, we're going to go to Bali. Um, and we're going to workshop through the the workbook so I'm actually finishing the workbook for for them to try it out so then I can put their case studies into the finished book and then have it hopefully printed and available ready for next year so yeah I'm super excited about that and everyone who's sort of read it or had a look at the the material or the structure or anything they all they're all sort of you know very excited about it as well so I just need to finish the worksheets and then test them on people to make sure that the exercises actually do get the desired result okay that's cool Keep me posted yep. on when it's coming out and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. So I'll be sending, yeah, I want to send a few trial copies because it's about, you know, I'd really like to, I'd really like it to be useful for everybody, not just the sort of the types of creative people that I know. Right. Um, I want it, there to be a range of people to try it out. So it would be really good to kind of have a bunch of different people, some with jobs, some who are being creative, some who are like, working on a building site, you know, but it, they really know that they want to write a book or something. I'd really like it to be, be useful for a variety of people. That's cool. So what is, as a well-accomplished person as you are, what is your first hour of your day like? How do you kick it off? Yes. So I have a, um, I have an email triage system. So, I, you know, it's that same idea. Remember the, the TV show MASH mm-hmm. where they would, um, you know, there would be a, a kind of a disaster and they would go into the triage area of the war hospital and they would basically walk around going, yeah, you're all you're all dying, but who's dying most? <laughs> who's dying the quickest? Who's, who's going to die if – who's really going to die in the next three minutes? And so that triage process um, just <laughs> means that I'm kind of going through all the stuff that's coming at me and just going, okay, yeah, I know you all think it's urgent, but, like, which ones are really going to – you know, if I don't deal with this in the next hour, who's going to die? Mm. Um, and so 
that email triage I do, and that's for typism and my own personal stuff and for work as well. So I just go through all of my emails and I categorize them. Um, and then that means they're dealt with in my mind. So that frees me up a little bit to then do something creative mm. because if I don't do something creative at the beginning of the day, the rest of the day hijacks it. But it means that by triaging all my emails, if there really is something that's on fire, I can deal with it straight away. But if not, then you know it gives me that sort of space and time to do something for myself. And then I can get back to the emails and go through the sort of folders that I've put them into, which is you know whether it's a difficult thing or it can be answered very quickly. Um, and then I like to write in my morning pages. So I don't know if you've heard of a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Thank but um, she... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I've read it recently again, actually, and it sort of sounds a bit old-fashioned now, but when I read it, you know, 20 years ago, it kind of changed my life, and I guess that's why I wrote my book, is because I sort of want it to be that for the the new generation of, mm-hmm. you know, lettering artists. It, I really want it to just to have some tools in there that'll, that will unlock your blocks and really kind of change your life, and so one of the tools that she advocates for is called Morning Pages, which is where you just brain dump, effectively, into a notebook. And so I've been doing that, you know, religiously for the last 20 years is I sit somewhere in a coffee shop, I've got my A4 notebook, and I just dump my brain into the pages of the notebook um, over three pages. And then it usually sort of stops that blah, 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 brain chatter, mm-hmm. you know, in your head. It means that you can sort of get clear on what's important, what your top three priorities are for the day. That's interesting. Uh, you know, and make sure that you set, start off the day. I mean, there's the expression, win the day. And I never get to the end of the day and go, yeah, I won that day. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually it's, no, someone hijacked that day. Right. But um, in the morning, I like to sort of set up. So at least if I can get, you know, my top three important things ticked off before I have any actual interaction with other human beings, then I'm, I feel satisfied that at least I got something done. Whereas if I just charge headlong into everyone else's priorities, then my, my stuff never gets done. Mm, that's interesting. So... You're starting out, you're just organizing the emails as per how much yes, of I'm a checking. fire it is. Yeah, because if there's something that's really, really important, I can usually clear it straight away. So if somebody, you know, I mean, literally the type of job that I have, it could be that if I don't approve something before lunchtime, a student won't graduate, you know, mm. and their parents have flown here from China. Right. And, you know, there's, there's some serious stuff that I, I, if I just ignore it for three hours, I'm I'm always sort of stressing in the side of my brain like oh is there anything that's really you know needing me so I just I just check that I just check in with all that stuff in the beginning just so I can then relax a little bit and go well you know I just approved that thing so now that student's going to graduate everybody's going to be fine without me for a couple of hours and then it sort of gives me that calm space to then work on the things that are important to me um, without worrying that I'm letting other people down so I just check in and clear clear away the really important stuff but then I also categorize all the other stuff so that you know if there's a top three folder in my email I'll put a bunch of stuff in there and then I know that by lunchtime I need to be checking in with my top three folder to make sure that the top three most important things get done that's interesting um, and I like that whole that brain dump on a notebook um, yes because otherwise you just a lot of people get the brain chatter which is where you just you, you find yourself thinking the same thought over and over again and I find that if you write that down, then it means you can look at it and deal with it instead mm-hmm. of getting it stuck in your head like a little mosquito that just annoys you. 
So when after you get that hot fire out, like you say you go yeah. into doing your thing, what is it that you want to do? Like what's an example of some of the things that Dominique is creatively would work on? Well, I mean, that's how I got the book written. Okay, gotcha. Um, so, you know, there was 36 questions effectively. The book is divided into four parts and each of those four parts has nine questions. Mm. And so I knew that that was 36 questions in total. Each one was about a thousand words. And so literally my goal every day from when I got the bolt of lightning in Easter to when I finished the book 36 days later was that I have to get up, do my triage, put out the fires, and then I have to write a thousand words on this book before I can get on with my day. So that would take between 20 minutes to an hour to write the thousand words. And so I had it all set up on my iPad and it would literally be, I don't know, in a coffee shop driving to work, for example. So get up in the morning, triage my email, get in my car, drive to a coffee shop, do the thousand words, get back in the car, go to work. And that, that was my you know, morning ritual every day until the 36,000 words was written. So that's basically answering the question. Yeah, well, no, asking, giving the context and the background and then asking the question. So the workbooks will be oh, okay. I got a place you. I got for you. You know, the, the audience to answer those 36 questions okay. as they relate to themselves. And then hopefully that'll you know, pop out an answer in the end as to what their creative superpower is, what they're passionate about, who it's useful for, and how they can get paid for it. I got you. Okay. That's interesting. I like that thought process. And it yeah, kind of very, makes, very it, makes structured. It, it makes yeah. it much more bite-sized too. That's right, because it's, you know, I always joke with my students that, you know, if I brought out a whole chocolate cake and said, here, eat this, you'd be like, I can't eat a whole chocolate cake. And it's like, well, what if I came and gave you a thin slice every day or every hour or, you know, every three hours? Eventually, you would eat the whole cake, right? right. So if you just look at the cake, you get overwhelmed. Whereas if you just look at a slice of cake, you can deal with that every day. Awesome. All right, Dominique, as we, you've been like, pouring out a lot as we get closer to the end like what advice would you have for creatives um i mean i think the reason that i wrote the book your creative superpower is that probably the biggest thing that upsets me in the world i mean there's obviously a lot of big big things that upset me but personally when i say you know when i when i see it happening in front of me is is when someone's when someone allows their creative spark to go out Mm. And so, you know, when people, and I know you've got, you know, husbands and wives and mortgages and children and dogs and, you know, things need you as you get older to be responsible. But I think there was a really good, I actually should look up the quote, but Jim Carrey gives a great speech about his father and says that you may as well fail at what you're passionate about because his father actually failed at something he didn't even like. So, you know, he made the safe choice to do whatever it was that he didn't like, and he actually failed at that. So it's like that's what told Jim Carrey that you may as well go for your dreams because you're going to fail at something you don't like anyway. You may as well fail at what you do like. And so for me, that was, you know, it's really important for me that if I see a creative person with a creative spark, that they should keep that spark alive. And so for people who are in a non-creative maybe job or mindset or just stage of their life at the moment um, it's really important I think to not let it go out completely and whether that's even you know just that 20 minutes a day in the morning where you're just dreaming into a notebook 
and then you have to go do your boring, you know, soul-sucking, mindless job that you hate in order, <laughs> <laughs> in order to pay your bills. At least for 20 minutes a day, you you know, you blew on that pile of ash to try and keep the little campfire going. Um, and it's a daily practice, you know. People always say, oh, I'm going to take three weeks off at the end of the year and that's when I'll paint my picture, write my song, make my, build my T-shirt brand, whatever it is that is their side hustle, their passion. And by the time you get there, you're so exhausted and the three weeks just disappears and it's not the way to eat the chocolate cake anyway. The way to eat the chocolate cake is a tiny little slice every day. And so just maintaining that daily practice, that daily ritual, no matter how small it is, to keep that creative flame alive, I think is the most important thing you can do that day. Awesome. Awesome. I, I like it. I'm I'm already excited about the book, especially <laughs> for, you know, a couple of people in my life that I feel like they, they've, they've focused so much on being mature and getting older. They've lost yeah. that that yeah. inner spark that we all get when we were kids, you know, yeah. to do something that we enjoy doing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what I like about the book is it, it takes, it takes your experience and your skills and the things you're good at as well as the things you're passionate about. And it actually kind of gets you to look at them in a different way because a lot of people are just like, Oh, well I want to make this huge thing and make this huge impact. And it really is about, no, just, sew together all the bits of fabric you already have. It's not like you've got to make a whole new thing. Mm. It really is about looking at where you're at and what you've already got and just viewing it in a different way that you can actually see a purpose for it and see how then to leverage it into something else. So, yeah, people, they allow it to get bigger than it should be. It really is, you know, by the time you get to the end of the process, you'd be like, oh, I, I already know this. Right. <laughs> it really right. is just shining a light into a cupboard you've already got stuff in, you know, and just just organizing that cupboard instead of building a whole new house. It really is makes it manageable and, and makes it seem within the realms of possibility for people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dominique, like this has been great. You've just been such an open book with just sharing. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Um, great interview. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. How can people find you? How can people learn more about you? Um, well, about two weeks ago, my website got hacked. So let's not go there. Um, but my Instagram is still functioning. So Dominique underscore Falla on Instagram is where I tend to sort of start to post all the things I'm doing. So bits and pieces of typism happen there. But definitely the um, creative superpower book will start to roll out in the Dominique Feller Instagram. So I'd start there and and keep in contact that way. That's awesome. My website got hacked earlier this year too. <laughs> it's devastating, isn't it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> just like what do I do? It's literally like your house burning down, but then you know, you just don't even know where to start. I don't have I don't have website insurance. So nobody's gonna come and build it again for me. <laughs> And, and the funny part is when I told my wife, I mean, she knew it was a big deal, but she was like, oh, well, you know what I mean? I'm sorry it happened. But it's just like... Yeah, and you're like dying inside. You're like, I have no identity. Who am I? No, it, oh, it, yeah, it was pretty rough. I mean, all the typism sites went down as well. So they're oh all gone. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so I, I built the typism conference site back again in 17 hours because it was literally the day before I was going to launch the conference. So, yeah, that was an exciting week. Um, but... 
my folio website has taken a back seat and I'm just going to rebuild it for the book now. So it'll all be about your creative superpower. There'll be no more string. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it was the universe um, telling me that, you know, it's time to kill the string. Out. <laughs> String's done. It's time for the book. You're going to change the world. Forget the string. I was like, okay, I get it. Universe, thanks for that really violent message. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, well done, yeah. man. Thanks again. You have been awesome. Thank you very much. It was lovely to meet you via technology. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I hope it did something for you. It brought you some, some insight. I hope it motivated you. I hope it caused you to stop and think. So remember, stop by the shop, dpcreates.com. That's D as in dog, P as in Peter. Creates, one word, dot com. And I would love your support. If you pick something up at the shop, one of the shirts, whatever. We have shirts, a whole bunch of different things. So stop by if you see what you like. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Be blessed.